Good morning. Good to see all of you here. Welcome to Woven Church. And uh, I'd like to lead with my weakness this morning and just share that it's been a rough week for me. Um, I've been a bit of a black hole. And in my neediness, my ego kind of uh, ruled my life this week. And I lived my week kind of like me, 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 need, need, need. And my poor wife um, took the brunt of it this, this week. And um, I just want to express my gratitude to her. And this is, guess, I guess, not so much kind of me. Um, uh, it's not so much me trying to make a public confession here. That's not my purpose. It's my way of saying that um, we all need to start sometimes our day with gratitude. And I'm starting my day today with gratitude. If you look in your bulletin, you'll find our notes for today. And the last application, I'm actually going to start with that today. The last application is to write a gratitude list. To write a gratitude list today. So could I invite you to just be silent if you've had a week like me where your ego was just screaming for attention and you were trying to feed it only to find out that the ego never is satisfied? And, um, or if just you had a rough week. Um, in fact, I'll be leading with a lot of my weakness today in my sermon. Take about 15 seconds. Let's do a little mental exercise here to write a gratitude list. You've got three slots on the bottom of your notes. Three things that you're grateful for in 15 seconds. So you know what I'm grateful for today? Three things that I'm grateful for. First thing I'm grateful for is Frank Lau. <laughs> I'm grateful for Frank because you see him running back and forth, and he's got this calm exterior. He's like, he's like uh, uh, what's your youngest is, is Logan. Like last Sunday, he came up, and he received the book, and he turned around, and he was like this. He had the book. He was like, and then he went like this, and then he started running, and I, I could see in Frank's face, he's so calm, and he's running back and forth trying to fix the projector, but inside, I'm sure, he's like sweating. He's like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? So I'm grateful for Frank. The second thing I'm grateful for is the worship team leading us in song and lifting our spirits Sunday after Sunday. I realize one of the biggest things in a church is the need for encouragement. I know I need encouragement. If I need encouragement, so do you. All of you live real lives. So I'm grateful for the worship team and leading us every Sunday in this song. And third and last, I'm grateful for Woven Church. I'm grateful for this church. It's not just my job. This is where I find my life and my community, my friendships, my family. It's where I get a chance to grow up, and so do you. And we just, we just it's like we get a chance to grow up together. We get a chance to go, do this journey of maturity together. So I'm grateful for Woven Church. So let me just pray once again, because we all need to calm our spirits today. 
Father, help us to count our blessings. Lord, we know that there's many things that we need at this moment. There's many things that we're screaming for attention, that are screaming for attention. But at the same time, help us not to live in tomorrow and help us not live in yesterday, but to be here right in this very moment. We are the recipients of tremendous grace. And we realize our weaknesses and our failures, but Lord, that's why we're here, because we need your grace. And we all receive it at this moment. Word of God, speak. Give us exactly what we need. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. Amen. I'm very, very happy today to start a new series through the book of Isaiah. Uh, here at Woven, we periodically do thematic studies, whether you know, we just finished this uh, series on, on uh, stewardship or we'll do a series on different topics. But we also, from time to time, do studies through Scripture, um, expositional studies, verse by verse. That, for me, is the most enjoyable discipline and practice. And we're starting today, for seven weeks, a study through the book of Isaiah, a series called Servant Songs. Study through the book of Isaiah. We're not going to go through the entire book of Isaiah in all 60-somewhat chapters because that would be too great of a mountain for us to climb. So what we're going to do is focus on a small section called the Servant Songs of Isaiah. It's a series of passages in Isaiah that are very important. Why are these passages important? Because when you look at the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are no other passages that are quoted more often, I believe, than these servant songs of Isaiah. So today, we are Bible-believing Christians. We quote the Bible. And in fact, for us as woven, because I believe we are a gospel-preaching church, we're sharing the story of Jesus with people. We read the stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John very often. But the thing is, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospels also quote the Bible themselves. Very often, they refer back to one particular book in the Old Testament very, very frequently is the book of Isaiah. In fact, some people call Isaiah a proto-gospel or the fifth gospel because they quote it so much. And in fact, of all the citations, the, the servant songs, the section that we're going to talk through is what frequently comes up. It sounds familiar, and some of these servant songs are going to sound familiar. The songs of the suffering servant and some people go so far, and this is interesting, listen to this, so far as to say that Jesus himself, his self-understanding, his, his, his self-understanding of his mission and his purpose is derivative from the servant songs of Isaiah. In other words, it's a chance and a glimpse into the psychology of the Messiah himself. How does he understand that he must suffer? and die on behalf of the people. It's quite possibly that his self-understanding was derived. Now, we believe Jesus being God was all-knowing. But at the same time, he might have understood himself in light of these passages. So it's an interesting glimpse when we read the servant songs. What we're getting a glimpse into is how Jesus understood himself. How Jesus understood his own mission and sense of purpose from the servant songs. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next seven weeks. It's going to be fun. 
And um, for me, it's, it's, it's a wonderful practice to study these scriptures. So we're going to look through these notes. In your notes, we're going to look through four headings, four voices in particular. Four voices. The first voice is the voice or a voice in the wilderness. A voice in the wilderness. And right away, if you've ever read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these words are going to sound familiar. They read like this from Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. These words clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Now, friends, does anybody want to venture a guess in the New Testament, in the Gospels, who is this referring to, or who would claim this verse? That's correct, John the Baptist John the Baptist would take these words and say, those words spoken about in Isaiah, that's me. That's referring to me. And so they took their Isaiah very, very seriously. And when they read Isaiah, for them it was a tremendous hope. They would take that hope and they would make it theirs and understand themselves. John the Baptist would understand himself in light of this. Jesus himself would understand himself in light of these words in Isaiah. You see this and the verses are in your notes. Matthew eleven ten, Luke 7, Mark 1, John chapter 1. In fact, John, John the Baptist speaks in first person there. I am the voice crying in the wilderness. Isaiah was talking about me. And so this emphasis on the voice crying in the wilderness is what I'd like to draw to your attention. Have you heard a voice crying in the wilderness? Have you ever been in a wilderness? The interesting thing is Isaiah talks about this wilderness. And in the Bible, when we think of wilderness, we often think of forests, trees. We think of the deep, dark forest. The wilderness in the Bible actually was more like a desert. When it speaks of a wilderness in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it does not refer to lush vegetation. It talks about a place that's devoid of life and devoid of water and hydration. Kind of sounds like Houston. And it talks about a place that's very, very hot and very, very dry. So the wilderness was not a friendly place. It was not a place that you wanted to stay very long in. And yet, listen to this, and yet, where is the voice calling from? Where is this voice of hope coming from? All throughout the Gospels, frequently it's in the wilderness where stuff happens. Whether Jesus would overcome Satan, wrestling where? In the wilderness. Where would the miraculous feeding of 5,000 people occur? In the wilderness. Where would the baptism and the Spirit descend upon Jesus occur? In the wilderness where John the Baptist was baptizing. In other words, friends, the wilderness is not a bad place. It's not fun. And you don't want to build a house there. But if you are sojourning through a difficult place, this is the application Expect something in the wilderness. 
I might even add to that, don't rush to leave it. I know it's uncomfortable. I know you've got blisters on your feet. I know you're thirsty, your lips are cracked, and your, your backpack is heavy. But don't rush to leave it. Why? Because the God encounter many times happened there. The old saints, and I'm not talking about the Bible, I'm talking just about Christian Christians in general, the old saints that weren't in a hurry to get out of the difficulty, but were willing to stay put and to wait in order for the blessing to come, those are the heroes of the faith. Those who didn't boogie on out of their difficult circumstances, but in order to wait upon God in the wilderness, those were the ones that are the heroes of the faith. Don't rush to leave your wilderness Watch, wait, anticipate. This is the Old Testament and the gospel posture. And we'll see this at the end of this chapter. Watch, wait, rest. Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. Last week, Ashley shared about the experience of um, our experience of not being able to have children. And she kind of painted in very broad strokes. It's funny. Um, I usually do that, and she usually is the detailed person. But for me, that experience, I remember it in very vivid details. I remember one night sitting at our dinner table, and it's the one piece of furniture we've had longer than anything else. So for 14, 14 years, we've had this rectangular table that's still sitting there in my kitchen. And I remember one night sitting at that table, and it was nighttime, and we were yet again disappointed. I guess it was that time, you know, and we realized that we were not having kids very easily or at all. We both had this heavy burden. We were in the wilderness, and I remember sitting at that table we were sitting on the, sh- on the short ends, and at the long end, there were two extra chairs, and at that time, they were very empty. And I remember thinking to myself, all I heard were, was the silverware clanking on our plates, and my wife and I were just sitting there, and I remember just glancing sideways and thinking, will those chairs ever be filled? And I just can't imagine them ever being filled. I can't imagine the sensation. I don't think... I guess in some ways we have this psychology where I'm almost like, I don't deserve God's blessings almost. But friends, God wants to bless you. It's not that he's against you. It's not that you're cursed. It's that you have to wait in that place. You have to linger. His faithfulness will come through if you continue to wait, to trust, and to make the right choices today. He will bless your endeavors. He will bless you. Wait. Those chairs will be filled. The storehouses will be filled. The harvest will be good. The blessings will come. Do the right thing today and wait. This, I think, is the message of Isaiah. I could probably sum it up right there and drop the microphone. But I'll continue for all of our benefit. So the first application Expect something in the wilderness. Don't rush to leave it because that is where we are growing in our faith. The second voice, the second voice 
Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6. This is the second voice of faithfulness. The voice of faithfulness. A voice says, once again, call out. And then he answered, what shall I call out? Call out this, all flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, yet again repeated, but the word of our God stands forever. So three times this concept or this word is repeated, and that word is grass. Grass, grass, I think it says the grass withers grass withers. Now, interestingly, it's like, um, I, I think somebody here posted a funny picture. I think it was Jackie. He posted a funny picture on Facebook um, a couple of weeks ago where it was Forrest Gump, and he was like trudging in water, and he was like, how did it go? He was like, one day the, what, what, he, it was Forrest Gump, like, and one day it started raining, and it just didn't stop. Is that what, how's it go? And it just didn't stop. And that's what it's felt like in Houston. And like God turned on the faucet. Well, this past week, it feels like God turned off the faucet, doesn't it? It's like we're supposed to have rain. And I'm amazed how in just one week, the grass that was so lush and green because we've had so much rain, in one week, it's already yellow. And it's already dry. And it's already brittle. And I, I think if we had one more week without rain under, this, under this, this withering sun, the grass would turn to dust and wither away, and that's what happens here. If, you've, if we've had a long stretch, the grass turns yellow, and then it completely is devoid of water. It becomes dry and then brittle, and if we don't feed it water, it starts to turn to dust, to chaff. This transiency is what's being communicated in these words about the withering grass, but the comparison is made to what? Flesh. <laughs> we are like the grass, We have to keep drinking water, I guess. But the older we get, and when we pass over the hill, and some of us are beginning to crest over that hill, and we're starting to walk a little slower, and we're not bounding up the stairs like we used to, flesh is like grass that withers. We're transient. What's being communicated is the transiency of life. But not just the transiency of physical life, there's a word there that says the, the, in verse 6, the loveliness, our loveliness is like the flower of the field. You know, watching my beautiful wife put on her makeup. Um, <laughs> loveliness is, loveliness is, <laughs> loveliness is like the flower of the field. It's like grass. It's not going to last forever. So, I mean, I, I love you for your beauty. I love you. I owe it to you. Um, it fades. So the loveliness. But actually, it's not just talking about beauty. It's talking about moral faithfulness. This is interesting. The word there for loveliness is chesed. And I've taught this so many times. Chesed doesn't just speak about physical beauty. It speaks about inner beauty. It speaks about the inner beauty, the faithfulness that lasts forever. And the funny thing is, I think my wife gets more and more beautiful the older she gets. The older I get, I think I get more and more ugly. It's not that I get more and more ugly. I think I'm getting more and more honest is what I'm saying. 
And I'm starting to see that I, and I guess I'm starting to get honest, I do have a problem with anger. I do have a problem with this. I do have a problem. I have a huge ego. And the more I recognize my own fading beauty, my own fading sense, um, I recognize my transience. St. Francis of Assisi, even he said, and this is a saint, even he would say, there's no greater sinner than me. There's no one more vile, no one more feeble, no one more foolish. Friends, this is not just eating humble pie excessively. When we get more honest with our lives, when we get more willing to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, more willing to face our own ego, we truly recognize that indeed I am transient. Like the grass, I am fleeting. We recognize our own shortcomings. The one thing that stands is what? We sang it this morning. It's the Word of God. And you see that repeated. Isaiah is not just literature, it's lyricism. So it's repeated there, it's poetry. In verse 7 and, and seven and 8, the grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. And then again in verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but then the lyric changes and it says, the Word of God stands forever. You know what this tells me? This tells me that there's something outside of us that endures. There's something outside of you and I that actually will not fade. Because I feel myself uh, withering physically. Morally, I can see my defects and flaws more and more. What stands? It's something outside of me. And I can trust and rely on that. And I can stake my life on it. The Word of God endures. Again, I'll lead with my weakness. You know, I was, I was just kind of pouting a bit and kind of acting like a big child this week. And one night I was like, well, I'm going to go and pump some iron. You know, and I'm going to, I, you know, I slammed the door. I slammed the door and I went out the garage and Ashley was looking out the, into the garage like, Really? You know, you, can, can you stop being a child? And I was like, no, right? And I slammed the door and I got in my car and I drove. And I'm like, I'm going to go pump some iron at the gym. I'm going to get my anger out, right? I'm just going to come back and say, yeah, right? And I was about halfway to the gym and I heard a voice in my heart that said, turn around, go home. Turn around and go home. Now, friends, FYI, it's not a bad idea, men, Father's Day, right? Okay, Father's Day. It's not bad to go pump some iron when you need to blow off some steam. It's not a bad thing. But in that incident, for me, it was running away. And for me, an outer voice. I, was, I, I don't always listen to the voices in my head. I don't have voices in my head. But I don't always listen to these things that, you know, but sometimes I know it's God. Sometimes I know it's the Word of God. I know it's the Word of God. And I know at that moment it was something outside of me. Because inside of me I was saying, no man, I deserve to get this personal attention. I deserve to be upset. All the voices that are screaming to me saying, I deserve this, I deserve this, I deserve this. I have rights. 
But the outside voice was saying, go home. Turn around and go home. And that's it. And so I obeyed. I obeyed against myself this outer voice, this voice which was the Word of God. I believe it was the Word of God. Word of God speak. Now, we trust Scripture. I want to point you, point you guys to Scripture. I'm not saying always listen to the voices in your head. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is sometimes if you know the voice bodes well, if it matches what the Scripture teaches, then you know that it, a good chance it's the voice of God. Word of God speak. Oh, here's a good application for the second heading. Sometimes we have to just pray. Your way. I'm sorry. Your will. Your way. So just like Jesus said, thy will be done. He taught us in the Lord's Prayer. Maybe that's what we need to pray. Thy will. Okay. I surrender. Your way, God. Your will in your way. Do your will. Have, let your will be done and do it in your way. Your will, your way. And if you find that you have no words to say in your prayers, and maybe it's just good to repeat that. Your will, your way. Your will, your way. Your will, your way. Third heading. The third voice is a voice for all people. So we're making our way. We're almost done here. A voice for everybody. A voice for all people. In verse 9, get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. I have to touch on this. I can't pass it. Why? Because that phrase, bearer of good news, in the Hebrew, I can literally translate it as saying, the one who is bearing good news or the one who gladdens with good news. Friends, what does that sound like? What word does that sound like? Anybody? Gospel. That, I believe, is the prototype for the idea of gospel. The prototype for the idea of gospel, when Paul would talk about my gospel, or in the, in the gospels themselves, we call them gospels. Where does that come from? I believe the prototype is this notion of bearing good news. Bearing good news. Friends, let me introduce you to Isaiah. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, you know what it is? It's, it's a train wreck. It's a slow train wreck that's happening sometimes again and again. And throughout the period of Israel's history and at the close of Israel's history, when everything is glowing, going bleak, this is the time when Isaiah prophesied. Have any of you ever seen the movie Source Code? I have it on my shelf, Jake Gyllenhaal, and it's this movie about this guy who has to go back in time or go back into a computer and relive this train wreck over and over and over again. Isaiah is like that. You're reliving this train wreck over and over again. Every time you read it, every time you go through the passages, you know that in the end, what's going to happen? But boom, everything's going to blow up. Isaiah knew what was going to happen at this end of the story. Everything was going to blow up. Isaiah is not a happy book. It's a tragedy slowly waiting to happen again and again and again. But in the midst of this tragedy, in dark times, when Isaiah is quite really predicting King Hezekiah, you know, you showed your palace to Babylon. The days are coming when the Babylonians are going to come and 
and, and rampage and, 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 and loot and steal everything from your palace. And then after that, King Cyrus, the Persians are going to come and destroy. This is, not, this is a train wreck happening over and over and over again. The point is this. In the midst of such a tragedy, Isaiah says, but, but, but in the midst of the wilderness, a voice is going to cry out. Prepare the way for the Lord. And a servant is going to rise who is going to deliver the people. This is the gospel. This is the good news that he's talking about. In the midst of so much tragedy, there's going to be good news. Good news. The bearer of good news. And I just got to point this out. It's interesting because the center of, 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 of Israel is Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, man, Jerusalem should be like me, just kind of having this big ego trip, like, oh, woe is me. Things are going bad. Things are going bad. Comfort, oh, Jerusalem. A lot of, is, a lot of Isaiah would say, comfort, Jerusalem. Be comforted, Jerusalem. It's trying to comfort, send comfort to Jerusalem. But in this passage, who is sending out the good news? Who is proclaiming the good news? Look in verse 9. Jerusalem herself. Jerusalem, the beaten down one. Jerusalem, the, cur- the crushed one. Jerusalem is going to be the one proclaiming the gospel. Friends, Christians, who is Jerusalem? Do you get this? Who is Jerusalem? There's a reason why Jesus was not Korean or black or European or Mexican, or whatnot. Jesus distinctly was Jewish. He was the great Jewish hope for the world. Because up till this point, there was a hope in the world, but just for Jews. They were the chosen people. But from Jerusalem would come forth good news. And quite literally, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, you will see from Jerusalem this good news going out to the Koreans, to the Europeans, to the Mexicans, to the Hispanics, to the South Americans, so on and so forth. Do you see what I'm saying? This is a great hope and the beginning of a great multi-ethnic hope. This is the beginning of a great cross-cultural hope. This is a voice for all peoples. This is the gospel message. Fourth and last, and I'll finish with this, and I have one last funny story at the end, but, you know, it's... Nobody laughs more when you poke fun at yourself, right? The fourth and last is a voice of comfort. A voice of comfort. Verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? You see, this, this could be Jerusalem. This is Jerusalem talking. It's Jacob. Jacob is Israel. So why are you saying, Israel, that God is not noticing, that my way is hidden from God? If I could translate, I, I want to translate this. I want to offer you my translation because that phrase, my way, God doesn't see my way. You know what that means? My way is not just the path I'm walking. This was a very important concept for the Jewish people. Halak, the, the halakha, the way they walk. The way I'm walking, the way I'm walking, Ashley always tells me when I run, I run funny. That's why I have leg pains. The way I walk, 
God doesn't see the way I walk. This is not just physical. This is moral. To walk a certain way in that, in the, 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 to walk a certain way talks about I'm walking in a way where I'm living faithfully. Why doesn't he notice? It's kind of like, it's kind of like a man who just got out of jail and he's trying to clean up his act. And he's like, you know, finally, after so many days of frustration and weeks and, and he, he can't seem to get a job and he's like, God, can't you see the way I'm walking? I'm trying to walk in a good way. I'm trying to turn my life around. Can't you see the way I'm walking, God? Can't you throw me a bone here? Can't you give me a break? Why can't I get a job? In the meantime, I see the players on the street corner. They're still doing the old thing. They still got the swagger, and yet they continue to prosper. While those of us that are trying to get it together, we don't seem to be getting anywhere. God doesn't notice my way. That's what's being communicated here. And not only that, there's a continuous sense to the verb. It escapes the notice of my God. It's more like God keeps ignoring me in this continuous, God constantly seems to ignore me. It's like, I'm raising my hand here. God, can you see what I'm trying? Can you see? Look, I'm turning my life. Do you know I'm turning my life around? Do you know I'm turning my life around? Do you know I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to live for you, God? God, do you know I'm trying to live for you, God? God, do you know and see that I'm doing my best here, God? God, do you see that I'm putting my life on the line? God, do you see my sacrifice? God, do you see that I'm faithfully attending church every Sunday? I'm giving. I'm doing the best that I can. I'm serving in the back. I'm volunteering in the kids' ministry. Why aren't you turning my life around? It ain't fair. That's what Jacob is complaining and saying, that God Either you're not noticing or you're flat out not there. And do you see, friends, what kind of a trap this becomes? Do you see what kind of a mental trap this becomes? It beca- oh, it's raining. <laughs> we'll receive that as a sign. The mental trap... You know what it is, friends? It's self-absorption. My way. My path. (laughs) See, I'm preaching a little bit too honestly here, right? Doesn't God notice what I'm doing? My acts of faithfulness. And the thing is, when we see all the things that we do right, we turn a blind eye to the things that we do wrong. And we don't want anybody to tell us to do wrong. Because we're self-righteous. And the self-absorption, friends, it's such a trap. It's stinking thinking is what it is. It's stinking thinking. And the only way to get out of it, you know, the only way to get out of stinking thinking is that last application I told you about. It's an attitude of gratitude. It's an attitude of gratitude. That's why we write a gratitude list. You know, I only asked you to write three. Try writing ten every day or do what I do. Take the entire alphabet and over the course of a day, try to write something that you're grateful for, anything, everything from A to Z. You'll get stuck at X. You'll get stuck at Z a little bit. For me, it's easy because I have a daughter named Zoe, so I just say Zoe at the end. <laughs> X, you know, I'll, but, the, but the point is you do that and you find that you actually are going through this meditative practice of counting your blessings. I'm just, hey, Look, 
I'm feeling pretty crappy today. I'm feeling pretty crappy today. I don't want to do it, but here it goes. I'm going to write a gratitude list. And I'm just going to go from A to Z. These are the things that I'm grateful for today. And what we do by the end, we realize, yeah, you know, I don't have much to complain about. It's a practice of gratitude and remembering. And that's what Isaiah says in verse 28. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? Get out of yourself. The ever- Stop thinking about yourself. Think about God, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. He's not weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. In other words, you think you, you, you understand. You think that you're justified, but God sees much bigger than we do. That's why we pray your will, your way. His understanding is inscrutable. You know what? He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not be weary. Friends, I pray that God will give you new strength. If any of you are stuck, like I've been in the past, in verse 27, where you're saying, God, he's not noticing me, then try a gratitude list to move you away from yourself, outside of your way, your will, and to hearing the Word of God speak, and to hearing the Word of God speak, and to doing things God's way. Close with one last story. If it reflects the state of my, my, my mind this week, I was late for a meeting. I had an appointment. I don't remember which day. Um, and if I'm speeding on the highway, that usually means I'm not, I'm not something's off. The reason is because I haven't planned my day very well. And if I haven't planned my day very well, then I'm speeding to get somewhere. And that's usually, for me, not a good sign. So I was speeding, and um, there was a car in front of me in the fast lane driving very slow. And I started, like, you know, like in the Indy 500, like race car drive. You see, like, cars getting ready to, you see, you see them doing this? Am I the only one that watched the Indy 500? And they, I started doing this behind him, right? I started doing this behind him, like trying to see around, trying to find a way to get around him, and I couldn't. There were other cars. And I was like, oh, who is this bozo in front of me? What a bozo, bozo, bozo. You're a bozo. Well, I didn't do that. But I was thinking that, and like all of a sudden, a police motorcycle drives up right behind me, like really close and was doing something. I think he was scanning my plate or something. And so the police motorcycle's there, and I'm like, oh, I'm a bozo. <laughs> and I pull over to the slower lane, and instead of following me, he just goes off. And I'm like, Phew. And then I realized that, that the, this bozo saved me $200. This bozo actually saved me from my own lunacy. This bozo kept me from getting a ticket. So I should have drove past and said, thank you, but that was the gratitude at the end of the tunnel. 
Sometimes we just have to see life like that. Friends, if we have our way, we'll get tickets. If we have our way, we'll do dumb things. Sometimes we need somebody to forcibly slow us down and to show us to submit and to surrender is always the best. You feeling me? Can I get an amen? Let's pray. Hey, I tell you what, if you're feeling me, just spend a moment to pray and say, God, your will, your way, I give in. All right, I'll turn around, I'll do I'll go home. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll make it right. All right, I'll apologize. All right, I'll stop complaining. from Isaiah it has encouraged me I hope it encouraged everybody here Lord we are like the youths that grew tired and weary and who stumbled badly but help us to wait for you help us to expect in the wilderness help us to walk and not become weary to run and not faint. I pray that you would switch our thinking, break through the stubbornness in our heart, and that you would do a new thing, a good thing today. We pray your blessing and your protection on all of the Wovenites that are not here with us today on vacation. Please watch over them. Please let them have a good time, a safe time. Let them be refreshed and renewed and find not just the physical refreshment but the spiritual nourishment that they need while they're on vacation. So bless their rest, we pray. Bless their rest. And for those of us, Lord, that are here today, help us, Lord, to enjoy each other's company. Thank you for this church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org. That's www.wovenchurch.org.